Welcome to the OA Serenity Sunday Meeting Podcast. Serenity Sunday is now hybrid, meeting in person at Roxbury Park in Beverly Hills and on Zoom. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroups webpage at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live in either iteration. Now that we're meeting in person, Serenity Sunday has regular meeting expenses and would appreciate Seventh Tradition donations to help support the meeting and this podcast. You can donate via Venmo at Serenity Sunday. Last four digits of the phone number are 6255 or through PayPal, Serenity Sunday 1212 at gmail.com. The opinions expressed on the Serenity Sunday podcast are those of the individual speaker and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And now, our speaker. Hi, everybody. My name is Karen. I am a compulsive overeater. And I'm so Hi, grateful Karen. to be here in the flesh, giving hugs, giving hugs. I'm so glad we're back. So glad we're all back. Yay. And for those of you on Zoom, hopefully you, those of you who live close enough, can get here at some point um, because yay. All right. I am a compulsive overeater and I was born this way, I believe. Um, I, you know, I, I have some pictures here. I, I didn't, I, I don't, at some point I'll try to hold some up so I can screen share them, but um, I'm just going to hand them to the first person, people in the row here. And uh, okay, so I came into Overeaters Anonymous in uh, January of 1986. Uh, which is a long ass time ago for me. I know there are a lot of you here who've been here a whole lot longer than 36 years, but for me, that's well over half my life. You know, I started when I was um, eight and a half, <laughs> and uh, no, I, that's that's not true. Uh, but uh, it's still a long time ago. And I will tell you what it used to be like, what I used to be like, what happened, and what I am like now. So I think for a lot of us, what I used to be like is probably similar. Some of you may identify this with this, but since we have a few new-ish or newcomers, um, <clears throat> I will tell you that, um, I'll give you some examples. The, I, I'm sorry for the people on Zoom, but for those of you who are looking at my pictures, I looked at there was the first picture there where I look all cute and I'm a little tiny, cutie little thing. I looked at that picture for years before I realized that I was holding a Twinkie in my left hand. <laughs> and I'm probably just around a year old, I think. I don't know for sure. <clears throat> and um, I, uh, I just ate a lot. In my family, we all ate a lot. Um, when, uh, when I was um, a teenager and I was in high school, I used to go to the 7-Eleven between, that's for those of you, well, everybody, I don't know if everybody knows 7-Eleven convenience store. I would walk up and down the candy aisle and sometimes I would buy a bunch of stuff. Sometimes I would steal a bunch of stuff. Sometimes I would do both. And I would take my bag of candy or my pockets full of candy. I'd go home, I'd lay down on my bed. My bedroom door was that way. I'd have the candy on the other side. I'd lay down on my bed, I'd read and I'd eat. And this, at this point, I had my own bedroom, so I didn't have to, you know, worry about, really, nobody ever walked in on me anyway that I can remember. If they did, I don't have any recollection. Uh, 
And I remember in junior high school, they had that somewhere between second period and third period or whatever it was, they had a thing they called nutrition, which was like a 15 or 30 minute break. And they sold, you know, crumb cakes and cinnamon rolls and the student store was open. And, you know, I'd go in there and I'd get a couple of those cinnamon rolls and I'd go hide behind one of the buildings and eat those and then go back. And I'd only get two at a time because God forbid I should get a whole plate full. I wanted a whole tray full, but I wouldn't do that because it's kind of embarrassing. And <clears throat> I didn't know it at the time, but I did all that eating like that because I was just not comfortable. And again, I didn't know it then. I know it now. Um, I also um, I also lost my train of thought. Oh, I, and I listen. I was a liar. I was a cheater, and I was a thief. And actually, I was pretty good at all three. I, I only remember getting caught once when I was, was before I turned eight years old because we hadn't moved yet. I stole $7 out of my mother's wallet and I took my little brother who's uh, 17 months younger than me. And we walked down the street and through the little wash to, um, I think it was a TGNY or some five and dime store and bought a bunch of stuff. The only thing I remember buying is a, a box of the 64 crayons from Crayola. You know, they had the sharpener in the back, but I remember carrying a grocery bag and, and Jamie was next to me and we walked out of the store and we're in the front of the store and I see in the parking lot, my Aunt Jackie's car driving up and I, my heart sunk. Uh, I don't remember what happened right after that, but I do remember that I was grounded. And, and my, my punishment, the only part of it that I remember is my brother and sister um, built a fort on the back patio and I wasn't allowed to go outside and play in it. I couldn't even look out the window at it. Now, I was you know, not even eight years old and I still remember that. Did that stop me from stealing? No, not then it didn't. But I remember the punishment, so go figure. And, and I also was a sneak eater. Um, everybody in my family uh, was big and we all ate. And whenever the good stuff came home from the grocery store, it would disappear so quickly. And I remember I was taller than my siblings at an early age. So I would take the individually foil wrapped or plastic wrapped, whatever, and put them in the pantry on the top shelf behind the cat food because none of my siblings could reach it. And, or other places I would hide it. I remember one time actually, um, I was, I don't remember, how this happened, but I remember opening the dryer and finding my mother's cookies. So I wasn't, not, not the brand mothers, but the cookies that belonged to my mom. So we all hid stuff. Um, okay. Uh, and I also, I wasn't very good at making friends or connecting with people. So I would do anything I could think of to get you to like me. I would um, steal money and buy you things. I would steal things and give them to you. I was smart, so I would let you cheat off my exam. There was one boy I had a huge crush on, and he got in trouble and had to write a paper, you know, however many words, why he wouldn't do whatever it was again, and I wrote the paper for him. Uh, as I got older, um, I would sleep with you because that I would get attention from you and affection from you because I, I didn't have it. I didn't have any myself. I didn't have my own self-esteem. I didn't have, I didn't have any of that. Um, I was very, and I, I couldn't, 
connect for any length of time. I, I, I was an athlete and I played softball and I played basketball. Wasn't very good at basketball, good at softball. And during the practices and the games, there would be that camaraderie. But after the practices and the games, groups of people would go off on their own and I was not included. So I felt like quite an outsider. <clears throat> I discovered many years later, well, actually, when I was 13, my mother told me that I had a brother who died when he was a baby, he was five months old. And she told me that she didn't tell me that any sooner when I was any younger because she knew, my mother knew me very well, how sensitive I was. And she was afraid that I wouldn't be able to handle being told that until I was 13. And she was right, I didn't take it very well when I was 13 either. Um, but I came to learn that I grew up believing that Barry should have lived and I should have died. And so this little rectangle of land that I take up and the air that I breathe, I didn't think I was entitled to. So I tried to do everything that I could to make up for it, the fact that I was alive and he wasn't. Um, <clears throat> so let's see. So um, jumping ahead to, uh, I was in, at this point now I'm in graduate school and this is in the eighties and one of, I was at a PhD program in sociology specializing in marriage and family ther uh, therapy, not realizing that, you know, at 22, 23 years old and being single, I didn't know Jack about how to help people with their relationships, but that didn't matter. <laughs> I was going to figure it out. Um, but one of my, one of my fellow graduate students was talking about, was studying eating disorders. And interestingly enough, back then there wasn't a lot of discussion about eating disorders. And I heard her mention this thing called Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't think anything about it, but I, I'd heard of it. So this one day in January of 1986, uh, it was a Sunday and I was walking from my sofa to the refrigerator, sofa to the refrigerator. I had a well-worn path from the sofa to the refrigerator. Um, and you know, in the carpet, you could see the discoloration. I lived alone. I kept going in there, opening it up to see if there was anything that would make me feel better. And of course, every, you know, every 10 minutes, nothing's gonna change. I live by myself, what's gonna change? Anyway, and I used to eat to the point where I was so full that I could barely breathe. And I would undo my pants or take them off and put on shorts or sweats or something loose fitting. And also I'm a big football fan. And I would watch, you know, in those days they had double headers and I would be watching a game and it was, um, you know, the third quarter of a game and I would fall asleep because I was so tired because I worked so hard. Suddenly, I, and I didn't realize and suddenly I'd wake up and it was the first quarter or it was halftime. I, I really, what happened is I ate so much that I passed out. Anybody who says you can't pass out from food, but you can from alcohol and drugs. Well, probably you can from alcohol and drugs, but I passed out from food. Um, Okay, so this one particular, thank you. This one particular day I'd been eating all day long and I walked into the kitchen and there was this much, let's see, I don't know how, this much left <laughs> in my package of crackers, not very much, maybe eight crackers left or six crackers left. And I was full, I couldn't breathe. I was compelled to eat those crackers. I could not stop. And it was at that moment that I realized I couldn't stop eating. I never knew that before. My whole life, which wasn't very long, but my whole life, I had no clue that I couldn't stop eating. So that was a Sunday. Uh, I, I called the LA Intergroup 
um, hotline and or the recording and learned there was a meeting at Palms Park that Wednesday night at 7.30, and that was the first meeting I ever went to. Um, and uh, I went to that meeting very regularly for a long time. I, I, I actually live in Eagle Rock now, which is near Pasadena, for those of you who know the area, and for those of you who don't, I'm so sorry, but it's not on the west side. It's a bit of a trek to get here, so I don't come to meetings here during the week because we have ugly traffic. Um, <clears throat> so I went to my first meeting. I was, I'm still friends with the speaker at my first meeting, and I remember hearing people say things that I recognized, that I understood, and that was me. That was me. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, all my life, the things that I've been doing with food and feeling, other people, thousands of people around the world have been doing the same thing. I didn't know that other people would take food out of the trash can. I didn't know that other people would eat stuff that's frozen because they can't quite wait until it thaws. I didn't know that other people um, would see a piece of candy on the floor and pick it up and eat it. Because, I, you know, I did. It's just candy. Um, you know, I didn't know. I used to, I remember being in restaurants and seeing plates go back with food stuff done. I didn't see anything wrong. I never did it, but I would have, I would have finished that piece of cake that person didn't finish. I didn't care because it was food and I wanted it. So all of the social niceties and the rules and the hygiene and all that didn't matter to me because when I wanted or needed something sweet, I needed something sweet. Okay, so I come to meetings and um, <clears throat> instantly thought, okay, I'm home. This is where I need to be. And I, I felt comfortable from the very start. Part of that, I think, is I believe that I took the first half of step one before I walked into my first meeting. I knew that I was powerless over food when I said to myself, I, I, I used to tell the story by saying, I told myself, oh, my God, I can't stop. But I don't think I said, oh, my God, in those days. What, God? But I couldn't stop. It took me a little longer to get the second half of step one um, because everything else looked great, sort of. And it was when somebody said to me, Karen, is everything in your life the way you want it to be today? And I looked at my life, which was, hmm. I realized, oh, shit. I guess I, I guess my life is unmanageable. That doesn't mean I didn't keep trying to manage it for a while, but that's how I took the learned about the second half of step one. Excuse me while I drink some. I was going to make a joke about it being vodka, but it's not. Mmm, <laughs> water. <clears throat> okay, so um, here's what really got me into this fellowship more than anything else. I'd been going to the meeting for a while, the Wednesday night meeting, and they had elections uh, for the trusted servant positions. And they talked about what they all were. And at that time, they, the, the um, commitment was six months in length. I don't know what it is now, six months. And they had this thing called delegate, uh, which I think in other parts of the country, they call intergroup rep. And the job was you go to the delegates meeting or the intergroup meeting once a month and you come back and you give a report. Well, that was only six, six things, six days. And I thought, well, that's gonna be easy. I'll take that because I didn't wanna to commit to doing something every single week for six months. Well, making that decision might've been the best thing I ever did because that's what got me involved in the fellowship. 
um, I was a part of it. Mind you, I, I had no life then. So it was easy for me to go to lots and lots and lots and lots of meetings because I went to work, I went home I went to work. Oh, I went to work, I ate, I went home. So I started going to these delegates meetings and, and that the next step for me at that point was um, becoming a, a member of the Los Angeles Intergroup Board. I was the special events chair and used to put on really fun and cool events. Um, one of the things, and since then, I've been uh, I've, I've been a Region Two representative. We're in Region Two. I was on the Region Two board twice, uh, and I was a World Service delegate for four years. And one year, uh, the fifth year, I was uh, I went there as hospitality because of rotation of service. Um, what I found is, if if I didn't show up somewhere, or I or, or people missed me, and when I'd walk into a meet, either a meeting or in a whatever people's faces lit up. People were happy to see me. I never had that before. And I was happy to see people. I would, and like the people here in this room, there's what five and seven, like 13, 14 people here. I can't tell you how excited I am and how giddy I am to be seeing people. It's awesome. Um, and actually somebody told me at one of the meetings I was at, on, I think it was on Zoom, they commented that, Karen, you're so upbeat. And it's like, you, you folks, my, my family, you fill me up in such a way that my heart explodes. And, and that's what being part of this fellowship is. But being part, you know, the thing about giving service, and I'm going you know, to wave the, the service wand like crazy, because, um, you know, now I find that I go to meetings and nobody wants to give service. And it's like pulling teeth to get people to give service. I remember days that we actually had to have elections. And the people who were nominated or self-nominated had to walk out of the room so we could have votes because there were so many people who wanted to give service. There's a lot of heads shaking here. To me, that's what got me abstinent more than anything else. So let me talk about abstinence. Um, was that another, so I got three left? No. Um, one and a half. Well, of your three, you haven't got one and a half. Okay. <laughs> so I abstained for 12 and a half years. In 1998, my brother was murdered by his wife and the guy she was having an affair with. I think many of you know that. I fell into a 10-year relapse. I never stopped coming to meetings. I would sit in these rooms, in fact, here, and cry, and cry, and cry, and cry. And I got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I don't know my top weight. I think 215 is the last one, last weight that I saw, 215. Um, 10 years of relapse, got out of relapse in uh, February of uh, 2008. So um, uh, about 14 and a half years abstinent. Every night I send an email to one of my sponsors. I have two sponsors. I have one we don't talk very often. I send her an email every night with everything I put in my mouth, five things I'm grateful for, and things that had happened you know, during the day, stuff that comes up. I have started working with another sponsor. We're going through the big book, one or two or three pages at a time. And, and I read it, I underline it, I read it to her. I tell her, we talk about, you know, why did I underline that? What jumped out to me? And we share what this big book means. I've learned some really cool things, uh, things that I think I knew anyway, but I didn't remember, but an insight insight that I had. I keep seeing new stuff because, you know, every every couple of weeks, somebody comes into my house and changes words in the big book. <laughs> I think it's the gremlins. It's probably the gremlins. But I didn't get to talk about God very much. Uh, God, my higher power, 
What's that? That's three. That's two left. Two left. Okay. God is my shield. Here's what I mean by that. Everything that we learn in this program, the steps, everything in the big book, everything that you, the tools, is designed to help us develop a relationship with a higher power, whatever we call it, because that higher power is the only effective defense that I have against eating compulsively, taking that first mental bite, a mental bite, uh, that, that first uh, compulsive bite, the strange mental blank spots the book talks about, the stories that we read about how I thought, oh, I'm in great shape. I don't, I, I'm doing great. I haven't had anything to drink. It's all good. Goes in, decides, hmm, a highball would be nice. And suddenly he disappears for however many days because he had a highball and another and another and another. He didn't even think about it. The, the consequences don't come into our minds. For me, even when the consequences do come into my mind, I'm pretty, pretty powerless over it anyway. Um, I have tools that I can use to help me. But what prevents those thoughts, those strange mental blank spots or that inability to remember the consequences, the only thing that prevents that from happening to me is maintaining a fit spiritual condition, maintaining a conscious contact with my higher power. That's why I say God is my shield. God protects me from the disease leading me astray because that's what the disease wants me to do. It wants to be fed, literally and figuratively. So I do everything I can to keep my conscious contact with God. Um, so I, I'm on my knees in the morning. I pray. I say the third step prayer. I read the For Today book every day. I read the big book every day. I call one of my sponsors every day. I write to my other sponsor every day. Um, I sponsor... Um, I have uh, one sponsor at the moment. She calls me once a week, but she sends me an email every night with her gratitudes. I have another friend that I send gratitudes to every night because like any other medication, if I don't take it every day, I have a, an autoimmune disorder and I have to take, thank you. I have to take a bunch of pills and other stuff every day. If I don't do it every day, I'm going to have consequences and symptoms. Same thing with this fellowship. If I don't work this program every day, we all know what's going to happen. So I hope, uh, I hope you all keep coming back. I hope you learned something, got something out of what I said. And I'm really grateful to be here, to be of service, and to see so many people in the room and on the screen that I know and love. Thank you. I also have to say, anytime I'm going to speak at a meeting, I ask God to remove me and say what, he, what needs to be said to be of service to him and the people in the room. So I give all the credit to God.